You know, the fall creates the crisis of the story of the Bible. It, it helps in our worldview to understand some things about the fall because it, it answers a lot of questions. Every time there's a natural disaster, a tornado or a hurricane, people say, where's God in this? And the fall answers those things. Every time we're praying for somebody with cancer or a sickness to overcome, the fall answers for those things. Well, as we begin reading in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return." The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. A couple weeks ago, listening to a podcast, I heard an allusion to a book that was written by Annie Dillard, and it's called A Pilgrim of Tinker Creek. And it's kind of an interesting story because she moves out to this creek, Tinker Creek. The book was written in like 1974, so it's kind of, you know, end of 60s, early 70s kind of time, and she's going to kind of get back to nature. She's going to go out and live along this creek and enjoy nature and kind of live life as it should. So she does that, but she comes up with this startling conclusion because she witnesses nature. She watches the things that are going on on the creek, with life on the creek there and day by day. And one of the things, for example, that she experienced was she watched this uh, frog come up on the bank and then a a big water bug of some sort, I don't really know what kind it was, but it jumps on the head of the frog and within a few minutes' time, it kills the frog and basically there's kind of like a frog suit left laying on the bank there when the bug's all done. And it startles her. And she sees that and other things like it happening out there, one critter eating another critter and all that kind of stuff. And she comes to this conclusion Nature's violent, but she recognizes that that causes a problem within her. 
Because she says, I have a real moral problem with violence. I don't like to see the strong take advantage of the weak. I don't like to see the rich overcoming the poor. I don't like to see injustices happening or unfairness. And there's a real problem because I have this strong moral problem with violence. But when I look at nature, it's full of violence. And here's her problem. Here's her dilemma. I don't know if she ever became a Christian or not, but kudos for her honesty. Because the way she's looking at it is this. She says, I came from nature. I'm a product of nature. Because she's not recognizing God. If I'm a product of nature, and nature is incredibly violent, why do I have a problem with it? You see, she comes to this conclusion, and she puts it this way. She says, either nature is a monster, or I am a freak. Because if nature's all there is, and I came from nature, then I should just fit right into nature. I should not have any moral problems. I should not have any struggles with what I see in nature, because nature is what produced me. But she had the honesty to recognize that there's a huge dilemma here. I think of this way a lot of times when I talk to people that believe in evolution rather than God's account of creation. You know what? You're inconsistent in what you believe because you believe that we should be polite in society and you believe that we should be kind to one another and you believe that we should teach our children to share and that we should teach our children to put other people before themselves and that we should put other people before ourselves. But you know what? If you don't acknowledge the existence of God, then it's inconsistent with your worldview. Because the fact of the matter is, is if nature is all that we have, if evolution is what brought nature to be, or, or the process that nature is a process that evolution happens within, then survival of the fittest rules the day. And if that's the case, how come all these people believe in Darwinism, this evolution, but they don't believe in social Darwinism? Nature is all there is. Then we should be teaching our kids to push that little kid off of the swing and take it. It'll strengthen you. It'll get him out of the way. It'll strengthen the species. If nature is all there is, Hitler was right. I don't mean in his selection of who was weak and who was strong, but get rid of the weak so that the strong will prevail and the race will move on forward. Hitler was right if evolution. But you see, the people that hold to nature as being all that there is, have a naturalistic explanation of life, do not have an answer for why we're in favor of justice. Why we're in favor of politeness. Why we have a moral problem when the strong take advantage of the weak. And don't get me wrong, we need kids sharing the swing set. But you know what? They don't, have a, they don't have a consistency. They don't have an integrity to their worldview when they look at it that way. And Annie was honest enough to recognize that. She says, I have a moral dilemma with what I see happening within nature itself. Why do I have this dilemma? Well, the reason for the dilemma is the fall. The reason for the dilemma is nature is broken. The reason for the dilemma is because mankind rebelled against God and brought sin into the world, and sin is destructive, sin destroys. It is the image of God within us that abhors the strong taking advantage of the weak. It is the image of God within us that wants to seek a social justice, a strong morality. But it is the brokenness of the world that we live in and the brokenness that is within us ourselves that does not fulfill that good and righteous utopia that we look for. And that's what we're looking at here today, is what happened in the fall. Last week we looked at the temptation that led them to the fall, that brought them to the rebellion against God. This week we're going to look at the results of the fall. The first thing that we see the results of, of the fall is the consequences of sin. 
Now, this is even before the curse. The next point is going to be the curse. But the consequences of sin that we see come into play even before we get to the curse that God pronounces upon mankind and the world. Well, as we see within the consequences of the sin, what do we see? Adam and Eve were told, your eyes are going to be opened by the serpent. Your eyes are going to be opened when you eat this piece of fruit. And their eyes were opened, but their eyes weren't opened to anything good. They already had their eyes open to everything that was good. What their eyes were open to was evil. And so as soon as evil came in, evil penetrated every part of their being. Evil penetrated their relationship with one another. Evil penetrated their relationship with with God. Evil was going to penetrate their relationship between their kids, one and another, as we're going to see when we get up to Cain and Abel. This evil that their eyes are now going to be open to is going to permeate all the different aspects of their life. And the first consequences that we see is Adam and Eve recognizing that they needed to cover up. We talked about it a little bit last week, so we're not going to focus too much on it today. But think about it this way. You realize that Adam and Eve, prior to this point, never had one guilty feeling. They'd never done anything that they didn't want other people to know about. They were completely exposed to each other and and happy that way. Not one thing that they felt the need to hide. And then all of a sudden, they eat this piece of fruit, they sin against God, and now all of a sudden they have things to hide. Now they got secrets to keep. Now they're, they're covering up with the fig leaves, trying to cover their nakedness, trying to cover their shame and their guilt it, through their own efforts with the fig leaves. As we're going to see shortly, that doesn't cut it. But they start to hide. They hide from one another through covering up with the fig leaves. They hide from God because they go into the trees of the garden and they try to hide from God when they hear He's coming. And so now there's this distance. This distance is already there between husband and wife and between people, the creation, and God the creator. But not only do we see that, we also see blaming because when God comes to them in the garden and he says, where are you? And it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like when I play hide and seek with my grandkids, I stopped by Leah's house the other day and, and uh, Malachi comes out, Hey, you want to play hide and seek? And he and justice go and they find these hiding spots and you wander around the room. Where's Malachi? Where's justice? And that kind of stuff. They're here. So I won't go any farther with that part of the story. But, uh, <laughs> but, but that's what God's doing. God knows where they're at. Adam, Eve, come on out, you know. And what do they do? We find him hiding from God, and then the very next thing that we see him doing is blaming. And God says to Adam, where were you? And Adam says, well, we heard you coming and we were naked, so we hid. God says, how do you know you were naked? He says, did you eat the fruit you weren't supposed to? And Adam uh, says, you know that woman that you gave me? That's who you want to talk to. Well, he's definitely blaming Eve. I think he's kind of blaming God. That woman, you gave me, by the way, I would like to remind you of that. You know? <laughs> and so he's, he's blaming, but the point is, and then he does finally at the end, and, and I ate it. So I guess from that part of the statement, he takes a little bit of the responsibility. But what is he doing? He's shifting blame. Same, same thing we always do, isn't it? Isn't it? When, when we do something that causes a problem, our first response is, is often to find a way that this wasn't my fault. Now, now, wait a minute. Uh, who, who, who else was involved? How is this not my fault? We constantly like to shift the blame. And that's what Adam's doing here. Eve does the same thing. Because then God turns to Eve and Eve says, well, the serpent, he's the one that tricked me. It's really all his fault. And you know what? The fact of the matter is there's blame enough to go around. We're all guilty. That's what we see. The consequences of sin. You know what? You cannot invite sin into your life and not have damaging results. It just destroys things. 
It destroys relationships. It destroys health. When you get into our relationships with one another and you allow sin into your life, it will affect that closeness of that relationship and it will break that down. When we look at Adam and Eve's experience already, before they had this intimacy, now it's all broken. It's gone. And now they're blaming one another. When we see, we talk about the brokenness of the family, it's going to get down to Cain and Abel and one brother is going to rise up and kill another brother. It's just sin is destructive. And that's just kind of the natural consequence of it. And that's before we even get to the curse. And that's what we want to look at next. As we look at the curse on sin, and as God's going to take three different avenues and He's going to pronounce His curse. He pronounces a curse on, on, on the serpent. He says, now you're going to crawl in the dust all the days of your life. There's going to be enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, down in, into perpetuity. And so I think that what that's spelling out is the enmity that's going to be between Satan and uh, the seed of the woman, and the, which would represent the people of God. And the seed even more specifically, but we'll deal with that in a few minutes we get, when we get to another aspect. But as we look through this curse, it, it affected everything. We'll see it kind of break down along the lines of who he's talking to. Like when he talks to the woman, he'll talk about the curse and what's cursed in her aspect, the childbearing, and then her relationship with her husband breaks down further. And we'll see that. And so it's kind of her sphere. You know, a woman's sphere is, is the home. I'm not saying they can't ever do anything or work outside the home or anything like that. That's not the point. But that's always their primary focus in life is the home. And that's what gets impacted by Eve's uh, participation in this sin. Adam's participation in sin seems to go more toward his work. goes out into the field. In fact, you notice that the, the ground is cursed. Remember, the ground is what Adam came from. And now it's said that, Adam, you came from the ground. Now the ground is cursed, and now you're going to go back into the ground as dust. And so there's like a whole circle right there. And so he deals with man in his workplace. And that's often what man is... Not that man doesn't focus on the home, just like sometimes a woman can focus outside the home, but the primary focus of man usually is work and what he's doing to bring to, to provide for the family and to support the family and, and his occupation, his career. And that's where it impacts him. God says, now your work's going to be really work. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. And there's going to be the thorns and thistles. And, and as the ground's not going to yield to you as easy as it did before, you're definitely leaving the garden here. And so we see this curse that God pronounces upon mankind and even on the world that we live in. In fact, when we look at Romans chapter 8, in verses 20 and 22, it says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to the corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see what he acknowledges that in all of creation, why, why was Annie's pilgrimage at the creek so violent? It's because all of creation is groaning. Creation is broken. Nature's broken. Sin has affected everything. When a natural disaster happens, it bothers me that it happened. I hate to see people hurting and struggling. And You know, those when somebody's sitting on the roof of their home, surrounded by water, climbing into a rescue boat to get rescued out of the place, and that kind of stuff, that is a horrible thing and a tragic to live by. And, and help needs to be brought in to help those people in those situations, and that's a horrible thing. But you know what? When that happened, when that happens, it does not rattle my faith. 
Even if it happens to me, it's not going to rattle my faith. You want to know why? Because we live in a world where creation is broken. Where we are going to have those things. There, there are going to be tsunamis and hurricanes and, and there's, there's going to be earthquakes and there's going to be tornadoes and there's going to be storms. and All of that is creation groaning. It's under the impact of sin upon this world. And so we see that as we look at the curse that is upon sin. Now as we look down through it, they're going to struggle in each of these areas. Let's look at the different ones. We do, we brush the serpent a little bit. Let's look at the, what he says to the woman. To the woman he says, I will surely multiply your chain and pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and, but he shall rule over you. Uh, again, it's stress and family here. Where is the curse being pronounced upon Eve, upon the woman? It's in her childbearing. And what is the result? Pain. There's going to be an increased pain in childbearing. And so pain is a part of the curse that we experience. And we go through all kinds of different pains, not just in childbearing, but elsewhere. And that is all a result of the fall. But then it also says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Now it's interesting here because this is part of kind of what caused the problem and also what will continue out to be a problem out of the situation. Because when we look back at the temptation, remember God created Adam and then he created Eve as a helpmeet for Adam. And so when Satan came and started to work on Eve, Adam should have stepped in. It looks like he was there. Now, as we mentioned last week, it's hard to tell if he was there for all of it or part of it or what, but he should have stepped in. He should have protected her from this kind of situation. And at the same time, she should not have taken the lead in it. And he should not have allowed it. And even when she did, he shouldn't have listened. At that point, he shouldn't have listened to her. I'm not saying, men, I'm definitely not saying it's wrong to listen to your wives. A lot of the best decisions I've made in my life have been because of the impact of my wife's uh, input into the situation. But in this case, when Eve is taking the word of Satan over the word of God, Adam needs to take the word of God over the word of Eve in this moment. You see, what we have is we're having a breakdown of the structure that God put within the family. That's part of what leads us into the sin, and it's also what comes out of the sin. Because when you look at what happens now, now God says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. Or in the ESV that we use, it says your desire will be contrary to your husband. It's kind of like with Cain and Abel. God will tell Cain, sin desires to have you. It's exactly the same word that's used here. He's saying to Eve, you're going to desire to have your husband. And, and the point that he's making is that she will desire to dominate her husband. She'll de- desire to manipulate. She'll desire to control. She'll desire to, in some sense, do what she already did in the fall, in the steps leading up to the fall a little bit. But then it answers back the other way, too, and it says, and he will rule over you. In other words, he's going to kind of put you in your place. He's going to dominate you. So there's this struggle that we have with inside of marriage and what we have with inside of our societies with the women wanting to rise up and dominate the men and the men wanting to put them in their place and dominate them. The whole point is, when God first made it, remember, it was a beautiful unity. It was a beautiful unity where you just fulfilled your function, which also provided what the other party needed. Remember when we talked about that? How man, in fulfilling his role, just provided perfectly the love that that Eve needed to feel. And Eve, in, in fulfilling her role, provided perfectly the respect that Adam needed to fulfill his needs. 
And as we look in Ephesians 5 and look at how the marriage is supposed to function with the husband loving the wife so much, like Christ loved the church, that he's willing to give himself for her. And so he will self-sacrificially commit to the relationship of the wife to be everything that he can be for her. And at the same time, she as the church to Christ would submit to her husband in loving respect. And it just can work so beautifully. And in the fall, it's completely damaged. Because it says now you're going to try to dominate your husband and he's going to dominate you. And so we actually see at the beginning, right in this one sentence, we see the beginning of women's liberation and male chauvinism at the same time. If a relationship functions as God intended it to function, neither of those things are an issue because you have a relationship of mutual love and respect and it just fulfills the roles and the obligations that God designed it to and is a beautiful thing. But when sin comes into our relationship and we cover up, we start to cover up and we start to blame, then the relationship begins to be dismantled. It begins to be torn down and it's destructive and it's ugly. And that's exactly what we see with the curse that God pronounces as he deals with Eve. But then also look at Adam. What do we see as he deals with Adam? It says, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you will return. And so as we look at this, there's a few things contained in this curse to Adam. Remember, work is not really a part of the fall. Work was already there. They were already tending the garden, keeping the garden. Work is a good thing. Hard work. Toil. Work was going to become work, as one commentator put it. Now it's going to be by the sweat of your brow. Now it's going to be hard. Now the stuff's not going to want to grow as easily as it did before. Now the weeds are going to outgrow the plants, and you're going to have to keep those things stripped out of there. And those things are going to have thorns and thistles, which are going to bring pain and going to bring some problems also. And so you're going to have to deal with all of this. And then also, what else does it include? Death. You came from dust. Now you're going to return to dust. And remember, that's exactly what God told him, at, told him before. The day you eat of it, you will die. Not too long ago, we spent some time in this, and so I'm not going to spend quite as much time today. But what, is it, what does it mean by death? He did not die that day. He didn't die physically. In dying, you will die is actually literally how it would read. But death did begin. Everything started heading toward death on that day. And so in that sense, death came into the world, but Adam and Eve didn't physically die that day. And I do think that their physical death is the focus. There is also, however, a spiritual death that we talk about because of Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden, separated from God. There's a spiritual separation from God that is death. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Just as our soul being separated from our body is physical death, our spirit, our soul being separated from God is a spiritual death. But I think that the reason that they did not die physically is also seen within the passage, and we'll get to that in a few moments. But it all points us to the, to the last part, and actually the most encouraging part of our study this morning. And that is, as we look at the promise of redemption. Redemption is actually much more throughout this passage than I even thought a week ago, to be honest with you. There are things that as I studied it deeper and deeper, and I've studied the passage before, but as I studied it deeper and deeper and looking for some certain things, there's a lot more in here that pointed toward redemption than I, than I even recognized up until recently. 
And so as we consider this idea of redemption, the first place that we see it, I think, is in part of the curse. It's built right into the curse. It talks about the enmity between the serpent and the woman and the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And it talks about how the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will bite his heel. So it talks about how the serpent, Satan, would inflict a wound on the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman would crush his head. And that's exactly what we see in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross and he was afflicted. In fact, it was a a mortal wound in the sense that he died for it, but not a permanently mortal wound in the sense that he rose again from the dead to overcome it. But we see Satan striking his heel, but we see Jesus through the cross and the resurrection crushing the head of the serpent. And we'll get to see the fulfillment of all that that means when Christ comes back. Galatians 4 tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He's the one born of a woman, the seed of the woman. Nowhere in history, not just in the Bible even, but in history, does it talk about the seed of a woman. The woman provide the egg, not the seed. But God talks about this seed, this offspring of a woman. It's unique because he would not have a human father. It would be the virgin-born Son of God. But we see Adam and Eve in their attempts to cover up. They put on these fig leaves and they try to cover themselves up that way. But it is inadequate. Even as Isaiah in chapter 64 and verse 6 tells us, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like the polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. He says all of our works of righteousness. In other words, not you on your worst day, but you on your best day. All our works of righteousness and trying to get us before God are completely, he says, they're like a filthy rag. They're like a leaf. They dry up and crumble. They don't do any good. That's exactly what Adam and Eve would experience. They dress themselves in fig leaves. What's going to happen to those fig leaves within a week? They're going to dry up, crumble. They're not going to, they're not going to cover anything. They're completely inadequate. But what do we see? What do we see God do? God gives them skins. Now, there's several different things that happen within this, the skins here. Obviously, an innocent animal is going to die to provide the covering for Adam and Eve. And so God kills, and God does it. God provides the clothing for Adam and Eve. The fig leaves won't do it. Their efforts won't do it. Their own works of righteousness, it's just like with us, our own works of righteousness will not commend us to God. It will not cover our guilt. But God did it for us. He did it for Adam and Eve in providing a covering, uh, uh, providing the skins of these animals. He killed the innocent, had to die. You know what I think we're going to do? I think we're going to kind of leave it right about here. Uh, And we're going to pick it up next week. And the reason is we're just getting into what I look at as the best part of it. Because we're going to see some things about Christ spelled out in this, and I don't want to rush through it. I just want to say one thing to summarize it, and then we're going to be back to it. As we look at the fall, there are things built right into the fall that God put there that we, we have the, the consequences of sin in our life, the hiding, the, the, the blame shifting, the blaming, all that stuff. We have the curse that happens, curse in the, in the workplace with the hard work, work, curse in the family, in our most intimate relationships. Sin affects every part of it. As we continue to look at it next week, we're going to see that also, all the way through this, we're going to see little glimpses of the redemption. And actually, some of them are a little more than little glimpses. But we're going to see little glimpses of the redemption that God provides for us. As we 
self-centeredly, willingly stepped into this position of being under the curse of sin. God was already at work foretelling and providing for the redemption that we'd have, the way out, which is through faith in Christ. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word here today. And Father, we would have to confess that all of us have gone the route that Adam and Eve have. And we know we've inherited a sinful disposition. We've inherited that nature from them. But we haven't exactly shied away from experiencing the same fall ourselves. Father, we've all experienced the consequences of these sins. We've experienced within our relationships a breakdown. We've experienced a breakdown in our relationship with you in that without the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, we are dead to you. Father, we've experienced the breakdowns within our families as at times we blame, at times we try to cover up and hide. But Father, we recognize that in Adam and Eve eating that fruit and in our sinful endeavors as well, it never leads to the opening of our eyes in a good way. It always leads to a betrayal of innocence. It always leads to a participation in more than is, that is evil than is good. And Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that in this, our greatest need, you've provided our greatest hope that you've provided for the forgiveness of our sins, that you've provided a way that you can be both just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. Help us to see it clearly. Help us to trust in it completely. It's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.